Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. You know what's going down next week, which is... Election Day? Election Day. And this isn't on some cool vote or die thing. This isn't on some, like, hey, your friends are voting, you should vote too. This is, like, a legit crossroads here. And, you know, beyond the normal inspiration that we bring to this podcast or... Anything in terms of a person's journey or the laughs that we bring on a weekly basis, this is some real shit here. This is like, you know, be concerned that Trump, who's gotten away with everything to this point, will get away with everything going through the next, let's say, three terms that he has and then follows it up with his kids. And it becomes not the democracy that you've known your whole lives, but on some the Trumps are going to be dictators in this country forever. And if you think, hey, this is a little hyperbole, Eric's being a little like OD or extra, and Jeff's about to jump in and say like, hey, Eric is kind of right here. I am kind of right. And this isn't on some conspiracy theory like, hey, your phone listens to you. And when you mention the word Connecticut on an Instagram live, more people from Connecticut actually jump in. This is some real shit here. This is if you have a problem with anything that has happened in the last week or so. The bombings, the shootings, the terrible non-reactions that you're getting from the most powerful person in the free world. Then go and do something because this this is important on so many levels. Starting with the fact that the reason that Trump has gotten away with everything is because he has all these people in Congress, in the Senate, in positions of power, who let him get away with this stuff. But also, it's not just about Trump. And and I hope that doesn't get lost in the headlines that we see every day that we're drowning in at this point. Because if you hate gun violence, you can do something by voting for a Democrat. If you hate the inequality in this country, economic, socially, whatever, do something by going for a Democrat in the voting booth on November 6th. If you want your health care to be provided for, and you know, there's so many details that I can get into on that level. If you're under the age of 26, you can still be on your parents' health care until that point. If you want free health care in this country because it is a right, pre-existing conditions, go out there and vote for a Democrat. It goes on and on and on. You can do something. It doesn't matter that this is a midterm election. This shit is important. I feel like the people who listen to this podcast are probably on the right side of things, and they're probably going to do the thing that is best for all of us, right, and vote Democratic. So maybe it's not you who we're talking to to go out and actually pull the lever in the voting booth or press the button or anything. It's about going out and making sure that the person who's apathetic, the person who's like, it doesn't matter, letting that person know that it does matter. So there's so much that you can do in the week ahead of this election. And certainly on election day, don't sit on the sidelines. That's the biggest thing. History has shown us that if you sit on the sidelines and you do the least amount, trouble follows. And if you want the most recent evidence of that, look at 2016. 
Okay, anybody out there who thought that there was no difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, look at us now. Look at where the country is now and look at what the future is. If you guys don't go out and do all you can to make sure that your voice is heard. So November 6th, next Tuesday, go out and save this fucking world. Jeff, how are you? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good overall. You know, it's just like you deal with a lot of shitty news during the week. You deal with a lot of people who um, could do more. Yeah. And what can we do? You know, we have a platform and I just hope that you guys listen. I hope you guys take this in. I hope you do your research. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who will say my vote doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. There's nothing I can do to, you know, change the world in the mold that I want it to be. And I think that they're wrong. They are wrong. Especially this year. You have a lot, a lot, a lot of tremendous quality candidates out there who, if you put them in a position of power, will affect change. Change right. in the proper direction. We had eight years of of just fantastic leadership. And then we took a step back with the 2016 election. We have a chance to right the ship again, do your duty, vote with your conscience, and make sure that everyone else out there who has the chance to, to vote, votes. And also, I, I do want to say, like, you know, if people are unsure, like, how to vote or, um, you know, want to know more about certain uh, contests or anything, you can hit us up at jeffatitsthereal.com, com. I'm sure we can send you some valuable information. Um, definitely down to talk about the power in voting or power of volunteering or power in canvassing and joining a phone bank, anything. And please don't make this some sort of subject line where it says, hey, Eric and Jeff, voting, and then the body of the email is, I have a new project dropping on November 7th. Go check it out because guess what? I won't. <laughs> um, a quick update on our mom. A lot of people were concerned after listening to the intro to last week's podcast. Um, as you may or may not know, our mom was hit by a car when she was crossing the street here in New York City. She was in the hospital for nine days. Uh, she had a concussion. She had pelvic fractures. But the fantastic news is that she is safe at home now. She has been discharged. She's been working with physical therapy. She is on crutches. Her spirits are sky high. We're looking forward to a full and fast recovery. She's doing just wonderfully. And we want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out, who has emailed or DM'd or left a message on Instagram or or told us in person we have passed all that love along to our mom and we appreciate it and she certainly appreciates it. So thank you everyone for checking in. Before we get into the podcast, I did want to mention that last week we put out the video and audio for Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review Jurassic Park, our live event from Highline Ballroom in early October. And coming up this Thursday, Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review Jonah Hill's new movie, Mid-90s. Jeff, who's on the podcast today? Today on the podcast is A-Track. A-Track. The Montreal Canadian who is here for the second time. Fool. 
Rose Gold. Which means it's only three more times until we gift him a green jacket. That's right. Also, by the way, he's here to promote the Goldie Awards, the producer, and beat battle that is coming up. And you can get your tickets at GoldieAwards.com. Last year was amazing. This one's about to be even better. But we talked about a lot of stuff, including Young Thug and Common and Ice-T and the time Ice-T the rapper. Ice-T the rapper. Yeah. And the time that he went down to Cancun. Yeah. With Maxim Magazine on the same bill as the Jackass guys. Except for... Minus Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, like, you know, is... I guess not the ideal jackass lineup. Well, I mean, look, if if you're a big Steve-O fan and you want to, like, hang out there and watch him Steve-O is nuts or whatever, he does that. And you can see A-Track do his turntablism. But a lot of fun stories, a lot of funny stories in this podcast. And it's always fun to hang out with our guy A-Track. GoldieAwards.com is where you can go get those tickets. Shout out to Maxim Magazine, all of our friends over there. That's right. If you want to go back in time, go get a time machine and enjoy. Jeff... I know people are loving all the recommendations that you have made, different episodes to listen to. What episodes do you recommend today? I would say that you should listen to episode number 185 with Chromio. That's a great episode. Shout out to Dave One and P-Thug. And if you have not watched their NPR Tiny Desk, I demand you go do that right now. Uh, I also listened to their album again just the other day to be like, hey, is this the album of the year? And guess what? It's still fantastic as ever. Go check it out. It's one of my favorite albums of the year. It's called Head Over Heels. Shout out to our guys, Chromio. Also number 187, Swizz Beats. Shout out to our guy, Swizzy, who is just an amazing storyteller. Came up here with a whole crew of people, but left them out in the hallway just so he could tell his story. He had no publicist. He had no one leering over his neck. He had no one waving us off to say, hey, don't ask about that. It's a legendary episode, and we were thrilled to sit down with one of our musical heroes, Swiss Beats. I would say episode number 27 or 94 or episode number 160 with Peter Rosenberg. Peter Rosenberg, who's been up here more than anybody else, our former neighbor and our current friend. You know what? There's no more fun podcast than when we have Peter Rosenberg up here. Go check all those out. What is it? 27, 94, and 160? Yeah. That's a lot of episodes, but go check them out. They're all winning numbers. And please let us know that you listen to them. It'll make us feel good, and it'll make Peter feel good. You know it will make Peter feel good. Oh, my God. So go check all those out. Shout out to everybody who's been binging on A Waste of Time with It's The Real, and shout out to everybody who's been passing along word. This is, again, your third favorite podcast, and we just appreciate you for putting us at that level. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. On Sunday, a.k.a. Get It How You Live. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Bumpy Knuckles, a.k.a. Bad Piece of Eczema. What up? This is A-Track, a.k.a. Flan Emoji, a.k.a. DJ Foot Massage. <laughs> yeah, this is your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. A-Track, what's happening? What's up? Everything's good. You are fresh off that flight from Chicago. Yeah. What were you doing out there? So, um, yesterday my brother Dave and I went to Chicago to speak on a panel for uh, Chicago Ideas Week with a friend of all of ours, uh, Andrew Barber. Yeah. And a few other great people too. Living that panel life. Did so, you bring any ideas? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Did, well, what was your biggest idea? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was cool. Obviously, Jeff and I work together. A lot of times people approach us and they're just like, wow. How do you guys get along? And it's so rare that brothers can work together, be around yeah. each other, be in the same business. Um, 
Do you get that question a lot? And how do you respond to that question? You know, a question we get more now is who's older. And that's always funny to me. <laughs> it's funny to me because obviously, you know, I know our lives. So <laughs> like, but also like for so long, I was visibly the younger brother. Yeah. Like, I'd started scratching when I looked like a toddler. Sure. So everybody and Dave has been over six feet since he was like three years old. <laughs> So for a long time, that question didn't ask itself. Right. You had a toddler and a six foot tall <laughs> child. Um, but apparently now it's less obvious and it happens a lot. And, I'm, and I always chuckle. I'm like, hey, who do you think? <laughs> and the funny thing is people tend to guess me now. I'm not sure why. Damn. But as far as like um, how do we uh, work together or get along? Um, no, I didn't ask that question. I just oh. like how do you respond to that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, even with that, I'm just sort of like, it's great. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, a lot of people are just like, oh, it's so cool that you that you and your brother are close. Well, I'm always like, do brothers really not get along out same. here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. like, that's always just been, I don't know, we've been making videos, we've yeah. been like hanging out, we have the same circle of friends. Like, it's easy for us. To same lawyers? Yeah, same, same lawyers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's true that when, when you grow up very close to your sibling, it's hard to imagine not being that close to your sibling. But obviously, that's that's the case for a lot of people, too. And um, it is what it is, but yeah, it's it's, it's great well, to work together. But you guys have another brother, we do, which Dave and I don't. That's, that's the other question that <laughs> Unless comes up. Dan a lot. is your brother as well. <laughs> could, could be, yeah. could be, and that's the plot of a sitcom. Um, <laughs> but I was gonna say, like, uh, you know, just a counterpoint in mm -hmm. terms yes. of uh, brothers who don't get along, siblings yes. who don't get along. The uh, Durst organization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, one of them. Uh, uh, he said that he committed a murder. This is true oh, on on tape, and it became an HBO. Yes. Yeah, documentary. Yes. But uh, you guys did More a thrilling and chilling. Yeah, <laughs> you guys did a, a Rolling Stone article together that our mom found and was like really thrilled about, and she was just like, "Oh my god, it's like the Canadian you guys." And we're like, "Yes, this is this is very Accurate. true." Um, Accurate. But yeah, people uh, when people realize that we're brothers, or if they see us together in this kind of setting, they'll say, "Was there another sibling?" Say, <laughs> oh my so god, that's dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there another one? <laughs> yeah. In past tense. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys get the question, how long have you known each other? Or how'd you guys meet? Because we get that a lot, too. We're yeah. just like, yeah. Yeah, because oh. a lot of people think that um, we're brothers in a colloquial way. Yeah. Like, not like... Oh, that's yeah. my family. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's yeah. my cousin. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I enjoy... Cousin, like Big Tigger said, like, my yeah. cousin? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I enjoy that sort of uh, gray zone, too. Because um, I remember one time I... Uh, my friend Young Thug. Yes. Mm. I, I, Jeffrey. We, Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> Sex. Yes. <laughs> All those things. I was playing the same festival as him, so I came. To, I wanted to say what's up, obviously. And, and uh, he was really excited to tell me something. And he goes, hey, hey, look at that guy. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, doesn't he look like someone? I'm like, I'm not sure. I felt like that was like a setup or something. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe. And he goes, don't he look like Pee Wee Longway? <laughs> and again, I'm like, I'm not sure if I should say yes or no. And then he said, that's his brother. But like his, his real brother. He got the same mom and, like, same mom and dad or something. But he really like said, that's his brother, his real brother. They have the same parents. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my, yeah, that's my favorite example of like, how much do you have to clarify that brothers are actual <laughs> siblings? Yeah. <laughs> so we saw you... Uh, just this weekend, we saw you before you went to Chicago. We stopped by the Fool's Gold store and you were doing a tutorial 
Yeah, thanks for, for coming. For DJing. Oh, it was yeah, our pleasure. You. It was it was dope to watch. Obviously, we've seen you perform before, but to see you in a small setting and really getting into even if it's the basics of what you do, mm-hmm. the whole history of DJing in sort of one sitting was super incredible. Oh, cool. And I think the people around us appreciated it too. They were there to really learn. Yeah. We just oxcore DJ and that's fine. <laughs> but but for you, have you gotten to a point now where you consider yourself such a veteran that you're like, let me pass on these gems to a younger generation? Um, yes. Okay, all right, great. <laughs> um, and maybe not even just for like veteran reasons per se, but just, um, I just, as, as, uh, as the years go by, I, I'm more and more sort of aware that um, I'm in a position where it's, you know, not that hard for me to pass on knowledge and it feels like a responsibility to do that. So I just make that, point more and more and i think um it could be you know literally dj lessons like what you guys saw or it could be you know <coughs> speaking on my experiences uh you know piecing together my career through the years and whatnot like the panel that we did yesterday in chicago um just you know using my voice mm-hmm. is something that feels more and more like a responsibility and um yeah just hoping that it can you know help someone out affect someone who's figuring their figuring out their path um like i think i was really lucky that early on in my career on one hand even just having dave having my brother in my life having someone who just happens to have he's the type of person that really has a great sense of vision and for not even just for me but for a lot of our friends he's you know he kind of sees clearly what what could work and gives really good advice so having that was a great asset for me my whole life and also um really on some DJ shit, like meeting a lot of my DJ heroes super early on. Like the, the first, the DMC World Championship that I won, the first one that really got my my name out, you know, the judges that year, which isn't the case most years, were actually a bunch of the previous world champions, Qbert, Rock Raider, and a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of those guys. And I, you know, got to know them really quickly. And they were so welcoming to me. And from that point on, would always sort of like give me time of day if I you know a lot of the DJs that I idolized as soon as I met them they would just invite me to their house if I was in their city and even just put me on some shows and things like that so um I that that changed my life right and so like once I realized that I remember like I was so young then right I was 15 then and they were like a lot that whole generation that came before me they were like 10 years older than me so if I'm 15 and they're 25, they just feel like way older. Yeah. And I think for a while I never thought about, you know, when would I get to that age? And I remember, But I remember getting to my mid-20s, which is now already 10 years ago, but thinking like, oh, wow, now I'm at the age that those guys were at when they sort of mentored me. Um, and that just sort of like woke something up in me on some like, all right, now I got to start thinking of what I can pass on. Well, and so is that why you created the Goldie Awards? Um, yeah, one of the reasons for sure. The Goldie Awards really ends up feeling like this huge uh, 360 moment in my life. Um, just like full circle moment where I'm able to connect the dots between so many, uh, so many things I'm passionate about. Um, so you love award shows. I love award <laughs> shows. Yeah, the name is a little misleading. People, some people might think it's an award show. Are you going to do costume changes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
I need a tele- teleprompter. <laughs> I tried, by the way, sidebar, I tried uh, using a teleprompter once for a thing I had to film. Mm-hmm. And like, it's crazy how stupid I look. Like, you <laughs> could see my eyes moving. I was like, this is not good. Um, so for those who don't know who are listening, uh, the Goldie Awards is a DJ battle. Battle for actually for DJs and producers. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I launched it last year. And um, the idea there was essentially, you know, I started my career as a turntablist. Winning world championship battles was definitely single-handedly what launched my career, uh, put my name on the map, gave me credibility to go do all these other things. And through the years, that scene that I was originally from kind of like fizzled in, in, in uh, fizzled out of the limelight a little bit, where, you know, in the years that I was battling, the, the DJ battle scene in general was getting a lot of attention. And if someone was a world champion DJ, anyone who's into, who was into not even hip hop, but just like new music in general was aware that of, of those DJs names, um, that for a combination of reasons or whatever, that didn't stay the case over the years. And what, what became even more sort of twisted is that <clears throat> years later when, EDM became a huge phenomenon and, and DJing, but more sort of like personality-based DJing and, and like uh, radio hit-related DJing became so much bigger than it ever had, there still was an awareness of the DJs who had incredible skills and who were still competing in some of these battles. Because the battles, the other battles still existed. Um, they just weren't getting the amount of attention. So meanwhile, through my other projects through the years and even like a lot of the stuff that I, that I do with Fool's Gold, I stayed involved with a lot of the, you know, subsequent trends in music and continue to sort of like find a path for myself where I was able to bring the skill set of, you know, technical DJing that I developed early on, but integrate that with other trends in music. And I got into production and this and that. And, you know, Fool's Gold being what it is as a sort of like lifestyle brand and everything else. So, I was able to continue making it, um, you know, building a path for myself. Um, and I felt like the turntablist scene that I was originally from, you know, there was a lot of incredible DJs who weren't able to get the same amount of attention, but who I wanted to shine a spotlight on. So the Goldie Awards really is a way for me to circle back and use a lot of the know-how that I learned from really from doing a lot of these Fool's Gold projects. Like Fool's Gold Day Off running fool's gold day off taught me how to properly run an event and and all the way down to um knowing what kind of crowd i can draw specifically based on all the choices that i make with the presentation of said event so with the goldie awards even when we launched last year everything from the design of the flyer and poster to the choice of judges everything was was a calculated decision to to sort of shake the turntable is seen out of this sort of, you know, it was a little bit stuck in the, in the, in the, in the attic, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to shake it out of like that separate branch that it stayed in and bring it back into a little bit more of the contemporary relevant current music scene. That was the, you know, big part of the mission for me. It wasn't just to organize a DJ battle, but to make a DJ battle happen in a way where people who are, fans of everything else that's going on currently in music who for whatever reason weren't paying attention to 
you know the bat the other battles that DJs and producers might be entering, they would pay, pay attention to this one. Sure. And and by the same token, you know, give exposure to really talented DJs and producers. Well, in terms of like a DJ battle, like what, you know, I feel like um, the stuff that I've seen in terms of like turntablism, yeah, it loses me because it's so technical that it just becomes like noise as opposed to an like a, a like an actual like experience it's like kinda, a musical it's, it's thing. Jazz. Well, it becomes it can like be this, jazz. It, yeah, it could be jazz. It's yeah. it's this very like masturbatory thing where it's just yeah. like yeah, you know, you're like cut 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 cut, uh-huh. and then it's just like amazing. Like yeah. I guess you know that's cool. But so for you, is it more about song selection? Is it more about technical stuff? Is it the combination of the it's two? It's everything. Like, yeah, but even back in the days that I was doing battles and you know the 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 most memorable routines factored in song selection. For whatever reason, it just you know from the moment that turntablism and like more traditional hip hop DJing became separate branches, it felt like the turntablist branch just continued to stay its own branch. And, you know, like you mentioned, things like record selection became, you know, more and more secondary in a sense. And it became a lot more of a just of a technical show of, you know, look at this pattern that I know. And then there's this other pattern that I know. But really, most of the audience doesn't know those patterns. Mm -hmm. But the audience truly can tell if someone does a great set or not. Um, so it's just, you know, part of the art of DJing is knowing what records to let, what to select and what to flip and how to play with these sort of like expectations of a crowd. You know, you play them something that they recognize and then you you flip it around for them and then they understand that you changed it because they know how, how it's supposed to sound. Mm-hmm. If you just pick, like there's also with the advent of, you know, the Serato age and digital DJing, it became way more easy for DJs to create their own files with like literally these little these sort of tools that are files that have samples that lend themselves well to scratching and be juggling in these tricks. Um, and I think that kind of hurt the scene because people were making their own selections of, of sound effects that crowds didn't know. And so DJing, even when it's hyper-technical, is supposed to be a dialogue with your audience. Mm-hmm. There's, 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 an, there's an implicit dialogue that the DJ is always having um, where you're kind of saying, like, you know, here's a thing that you recognize, but now I'm going to play a vocal of, of another thing that you recognize. And, you know, even if you're not scratching, like, just record selection is some sort of dialogue. When turntablists started using their own files and, it, you know, the digital era made that so much easier... I feel like that dialogue stopped and it became a monologue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it became a monologue that's not that fun to listen to sometimes. Um, so, I, yeah, I definitely think that. And, you know, I've always tried to find ways to continue integrating and really sort of updating a lot of these really, you know, fun but technical tricks into my sets in various settings. And, um you know, playing such a wide range of shows as I do from from festivals to club sets to, you know, whatever else. We get it. You're very versatile. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, that 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 wide range of of shows um, forced me to figure out things that connect with an audience. Mm-hmm. Right. As far as these. Well, these yeah. When did you realize that you were having a conversation with the audience rather than just like, let me show off how I can do this? Well, essentially, um, I stopped battling. Uh, my last battles were in 2000. All, the battles that I did was were from 97 to 2000. And after that, 
Y2K. Like, yeah. Y2K. <laughs> because of the glitch. <laughs> um, because of the glitch. Uh, and the shortage of, of water. Um, <laughs> I, I, I moved on. No, but what really happened was, you know, in the early 2000s, that's when that scene that I was talking about originally sort of dried out. Um, and like all my peers noticed it. And I, you know, I saw a whole generation that I came up with come to a crossroads where, uh, you know, any DJ that for a while could really get by either entering battles or playing at, um, do you guys remember events like table turns in New York? No. So no. Do, do you remember the New Yorkan Poets Cafe where, yes. where yes. Bobito used yeah. to yeah. do the words party? Yep. Mm-hmm. So there was, a, there was another party there called table turns, which was what they would call an open turntable event, which is exactly like an open mic event <laughs> where anyone could just sign up and just go up there and scratch. And there was, the the you know there was enough an audience to fill the room wow. to watch well there was oh. a bringer crowd everybody had <laughs> yeah. to come in <laughs> pass out flyers in the corner <laughs> but there you know the, there was enough interest you know at that point like during the heyday of turntablism mm-hmm. there was an, enough interest to fill a room with people who were curious and sort of enamored with this really exciting turntablist scene because it really was um you know it really was an exciting time you could tell that DJs were innovating every other week or month or whatever, new tricks were being created. So people would just go and watch a whole evening of one DJ after the other going up and scratching. What I was getting at is that dried out, right? So, and once that did, um, the DJs who were part of that scene had to decide whether they wanted to just get some sort of, you know, residency at a local club in their hometown and just become more of a, more and more of a traditional DJ. Or I saw a lot of my friends just go and get jobs and da da da. Like and I was younger than any of them. So even you know, in, in two thousand I was eighteen. Um most of the DJs that I was coming up with were like at least four or five years older than me. So they were like twenty three or something and they usually there was usually a girlfriend in the picture who sure. was like, Okay, this has been fun and all, but now you should get a job. <laughs> right? But I was like still really young and excited. So, you know, the early two thousands for me was in was a time period where I had to I I taught myself how to like properly DJ in the sense of like rocking different crowds and, and understanding like record selection more. Um and I, I just wanted to carry on and to bring, you know, all these really cool tricks of DJing to more and more crowds. And um, I was kind of like looking for my next move and I hadn't met Kanye yet. And it was definitely years before Fool's Gold. But, so I was just playing in a lot of different kinds of settings. And right then and there, I, 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 I had to learn, you know, I had to get a better understanding of, you know, which routine to use when and what works for what crowd. And, and so for me, record selection wasn't, more than just choosing the songs that I played. It was choosing the songs that I played and also choosing which tricks to do in which settings. Um, do you ever it, think that you went like way too far? Uh, with what? Sorry. In terms of like tricks and stuff where you were just like, you Sometimes, know. yeah. That, yeah, that, that like, I developed my, my sort of arsenal of tricks for the first couple of years based on battles where you do short routines, right? So a DMC set is six minutes. ITF, which was an, another uh, uh, federation, an international yeah. federation, <laughs> yeah. of, uh, it was another uh, franchise mm-hmm. of battles. Those were head-to-head battles, so it's a lot of it's a bunch of shorter rounds. So those are like a minute and a half rounds. So all this to say, like I would come up with all these extremely condensed 
sort of micro sets of like razzle dazzle shock and awe you know quick skills for 90 seconds to six minutes and one of the first things i learned when i sort of grew past that scene and started playing for more general audiences was that is you know that condensed format doesn't really work for a general audience. They don't even they don't like to they, stop dancing and start yeah, clapping. They haven't even realized that something's happening, and then there's a whole lot of things happening really fast. So I kind of figured out that I have to walk people through it, walk people into it, and like just transition into some of these tricks in a way that where I could like I felt like I had to take people's hands and just be like, all right, now I'm gonna do something, check right. it out, cool, and now I'm gonna seek back into the set, you know, because early on, like really when I was before that, when I was still in, like, totally in my battling stage, when I was, like, 15, 16, I, w- I was getting booked at shows. And I would show up at these shows, and I would play a couple records just for the sake of filling up a time slot. And then I would grab the mic and be like, you guys want to see some crazy shit? <laughs> and I would do some crazy shit. <laughs> and then I'd be like, all right, cool, I'm out. This is what you paid for. <laughs> and, but, like, after, after a little while, I was like, you know what? Let me figure out how to, like, come up with a set. Yeah. Not, like fill up a bit of time and be like, all right, hey, everybody, check this out. It's really cool. <laughs> Do you remember when Timbaland got really angry at everybody copying his stuff? And, you know, like, because he was the only one who was, like, doing, like, these stutter step things. And he was the only one doubling up, like, different snare sounds. And he was the only one doing a certain Timbaland sound. And then he was just like, oh, everyone's copying me. I'm going to go and do Nelly Furtado stuff, right? Did yeah. you ever go through something where you found someone else doing certain routines that you had and you were just like, what, what happened? I have to switch up my whole thing. And did uh, you ever want to record a rap disc going at <laughs> Scott Storch? Yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> Shout out to my boy, Kenny Beats, who, who um, someone made a disc record to him. Another producer claimed that he was biting his beats and this guy made a diss record to Kenny Beats. Like, this is a week <laughs> or two ago. And Kenny handled it so well, he posted the diss record. And he was like, this is kind of hard. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. But anyways, um, and by the way, like, when you mentioned when uh, Timbaland started getting mad at people, do you remember when, when, like, first of all, you had to wait for a magazine issue to come out to find out who was saying what about who? And, like, <laughs> Jermaine Dupree and Timbaland had a Yeah, story. yeah. Oh, my God. Yo. They were beefing about shit. And that was really sort of awkward. Yeah. Like, Jermaine Dupri is really great, but like I never saw him in as the same kind of producer to, as Tim. And yeah. no knock to either one of them, but like they started like dissing each other, and I would read these magazines and be like, "What? <laughs> Why? What? Why are you guys talking about each other?" Yeah, there like, was a diss track that um, like Tim had against JD, and yeah. he had Dre just come on at the end of it and yeah. just be like, "Fuck yeah. you." Yeah. <laughs> I always liked when Tim started uh, like breaking down his beats at the end of the song. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Like throwing shoulder kind same, of stuff. Like same. doing the halftime shit. Um, but now we live in a world where people could just like loop that up and they're just like, I got a Timbaland beat because I went on YouTube and like recorded it. It's Timbaland like, type beat. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> type beat. It's a great era. <laughs> um, did someone really bite me? I mean, when, when I was doing these battles and I was really like full turntableist lifestyle, my style itself was was pretty well rounded in the sense that I was doing a lot of different tricks and and like types of tempos and da da da. So like I was never I was never and this applied to even this even applies to my production stuff later on. I was never one to have one sound. I've always been Mister like I can do this, but I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I don't think anybody like totally bit my style. There's, you know, individual routines that people would copy here and there, but I'd be like, ah, I have other ones. It's mm-hmm. fine. So yeah, that, that was never really an issue. Like I, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to having one style. Mm-hmm. The con being obviously that someone can then do it. And then you're like, ah, damn it. <laughs> but the pro being that it's so marketable to sure. be like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so. You know me I for remember, this, yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, when Little John started blowing up, and then... He stole your style? <laughs> no. <laughs> Shout out to Jonathan. He's great. But I, and Say I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember him doing an interview um, on Hot 87, I think, and he said something that at the, at the time seemed so foreign and counterintuitive and now is so normal and it's hard to even understand thinking back why that that was weird but i remember he said something like yeah i make a bunch of my a bunch of my beats at the same tempo because then djs can go play all of them in a little set and they could basically play a little john set and mm-hmm. that's really cool for me and i remember hearing that and being like man that's so weird like don't producers just like follow their inspiration and find a cool sample and then that'll dictate their tempo and everything's different and blah 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 variety and I was wrong. He was right. <laughs> like, it's definitely a great idea to make a bunch of beat at the same tempo. And I still play Little John sets now. Totally. Like 10 plus years later, you know, Crunk will never die. Well, now I think, too, is is the right time for you guys. I don't want to, you know, I don't know if you guys are planning this or whatever. Blow up your spot. But you should bring John out at one of your Fool go, Fool's Gold Day well, offs. So, so Little John is actually, like, really down with the, with the DJ scene in general. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my DJ peers bring him out at shows hmm. and like even like many years ago when dubstep was really big and dubstep was at the same tempo as as like crunk and most southern rap I remember like he heard that and was like hey I'm gonna come out with all these DJs yeah um, so yeah he's been he's been around and supportive of the scene mm-hmm. yeah who was the first um, like rap figure to really like bring you in besides Kanye uh I mean, no, it, it really was yay. I, I, there was a bunch of rappers that I met early on, but um, let me think. I mean, maybe nonfiction, if we go mm. back to the backpack years. Because mm-hmm. essentially, like, you know, Dave and I got into the hip-hop scene in the mid to late 90s. Like, and that's where you guys met. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My brother and I just met at my parents' house. We're like, hey, you're always here. <laughs> but I've never asked you. What I like that music too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like the, the late 90s, you know, underground, whatever you call it, indie, backpack, rap, boom, that really was a sort of counter reaction to like the shiny suit stuff. Um, respect to Puff though. Mm-hmm. That, that scene really felt like home to us. And like, although as a DJ, I I also liked a lot of the major label releases too. I wasn't on some like fuck the majors. <laughs> I loved the ethos of a Rockus Records and you know a Fat Beats and an ABB and a, you know all these amazing labels. Um, and you know, I was already I was traveling into the U.S. Uh, for some of my shows, and and I think that that era of late nineties backpack rap was when i when both dave and i started making actual friendships with other people in the scene um you know going down to new york and you know well i was a guest on the stretch and bobito show and the executioners really brought you know brought me in with them to to a bunch of awesome places like that i mean really um even mr sinister um brought me to a common studio session in 1998 i was 16 wow 
It was like one of the first times that I went to New York as a DJ. I used to go to New York just like to as visit. a drug dealer. <laughs> no, yeah, or to visit my my mom's uh, aunties in Queens. Yeah. Uh, but then once I was scratching, I was like, oh, now I can look at this city in a different light. So I go to New York for a show, hit up Sinister, because like I was saying earlier, those like my OGs were super welcoming to me. And literally, he was like, oh, I'm in the studio with Common recording some scratches. Come hang out, and. Uh, that I was sort of like, what? Yes, of course, that's incredible. And um, so when Common sees you come in and you're yeah. like a 15 year old, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is that Sinister had already showed him the video of me winning the DMC. Oh wow! So when I walked in, he was like, "Yo, Joe so showed me the, the video. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're it's crazy. That's like, awesome, though. Yeah. So that was really cool. That you um, didn't have to just like play the wall. Exactly. And be quiet. That's dope. yeah. No, yeah. exactly. I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't have to play the wall. It was. I I walked in and and. It was a conversation. He's like, yo, you're dope. Da, da, da. I remember meeting uh, his manager, Derek Dudley, the engineer, Troy Hightower. Like, those are names that I would see <laughs> on records. And I was able to, you know, feel welcomed by them. And, um, and Sinister was recording little scratches on, I think, the remix to Reminding Me of Self. Because I, I definitely <laughs> remember that they were finishing up One Day It'll All Make Sense. And that they played us a bunch of those songs that day and that that album holds a special place in my heart because of that day yeah um it's also a really good album that's <laughs> what you should play in vegas yes yeah. <laughs> exactly invocation yeah for song um and so yeah i would say like those were definitely early relationships i mean even some of the battles that i was doing were i mean uh, there's, the, there's an amazing video of ice tea hosting a battle that actually i wasn't competing in this one i was um, one of the judges, so I was doing like a little, uh, a little, you know, uh, showcase set mm-hmm. at the end of the battle. So this was like 2001 or so. I looked at the height of my nerdiness, <laughs> and there's a video where Ice T. Um, I've just finished my like my 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 little exhibition routine, and Ice T. grabs the mic and he goes, "Now see, this is a track, right? Now see, he looks like." He might be building a pipe bomb in the bathroom, right? <laughs> he looks like he can't even talk to a girl in high school, right? But he just killed it. And this is what hip-hop has become today. And it's ill because this is at a point in time where I do think that he was... That I, it's, it's interesting to think back at what he th- meant by this is what hip-hop had become today. Because mm-hmm. me as a, you know, barely pubescent Canadian Jewish kid middle class, whatever, like not, you know, obviously not looking the part for Mm -hmm. what hip hop had been up until that point. Hip hop was opening up so much more in those years. And, and, you know, I think Ice-T saw that and saw the skills or whatever and was like, all right, this guy's a good DJ. And he looks really different from what used to be a good (laughs) DJ in my days. Hip hop's really great. That would be such a fucking dope drop just to like use that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And... Oh, yeah. So uh, Ice-T hosted one of those battles. I'm just thinking, like, who else was hosting? Like, who else was, was I meeting uh, earlier on? Grandmaster Kaz, who I wow. ran into again recently, used to host some of these battles. So, like, you know, I used to go down to the Rocksteady anniversary, that kind of stuff. So I met a lot of the, you know, the forefathers. Uh, Were you ever getting booked places being, like, sort of, like, not like a freak show, but like, look at the amazing Alan. I have an excellent story. Who is like, you know, a 15 year old. Yeah. And he can do here's, stuff with his hands. Here's, here's, yeah. Here's the best example of that. So I was mentioning, cause, and it's interesting because I feel like I like the fact that I'm getting to talk about the weird years mm-hmm. of, of my career, which were like 
2001 to 3. Because <laughs> my last battle was in 2000, and I got the Kanye gig in 2004. Mm -hmm. 2001 to 3 were the years of, I want to take turntablism somewhere else. I want to take this to a bigger stage. There's some sort of next play, some sort of next move out there. I just don't know what it is yet. And so I was like exploring. And the height of the weirdness <laughs> was getting booked at a Maxim Magazine spring break party in Cancun. And on the same bill as me were a few of the guys from Jackass, but not Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So <laughs> to think back at that. And during the daytime on the beach of Cancun, there were all these daytime activities that were, you know, literally for spring break, you know, kid teens or whatever, uh, young adults perhaps. Yeah. Uh, There's all these daytime activities that were hosted by the cast of MTV's Real World. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's so weird to think back that this was someone at Maxim Magazine made this booking was like, all right, I'm going to get a scratch DJ. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the cast of MTV's Real World and Steve-O's going to staple his nutsack <laughs> and let's get the midget too. <laughs> Which is literally what happened. Steve-O stapled his nutsack. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really interesting. Oh. But um, Did you play a rim shot when it happened? <laughs> I, yeah, that, Yo, who would carry your his. crate back then? I was traveling alone. You, so you carried your own crate? Yeah, 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 yeah. How many records would you take on the road? I would usually bring like... One, one crate, like one, um, one crate that's, that's, uh, like made to check in, like yeah. a, fli a flight case, I guess yeah. you call it. One flight case crate and, and one very big backpack. So both carry on or the records would go no, down? No, I would have to check in. Like it's, you know. It's, what if they lost it? That happened many times. Many times? Yeah, it brings back a lot of trauma to think <laughs> back at the check-in days. Like I, I'm a, I live a full carry-on lifestyle now. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, takes yeah. a lot to convince me to check anything in now by the way like, we ran into we were going down to south by southwest and we were at jfk and we ran into uh action bronson and mark de jesus his manager nice. and alchemist right mm -hmm. and we're like oh how's it going guys are like great until we get to to austin because we have to wait for fucking alchemist who checks his bags ah uh, no <laughs> big no no yeah. and that's the thing like by the way when you travel with a group if there's one person that checks a bag it fucks up the whole group. Oh. It's kind of like if you try to do a group chat on iMessage and one person has the green button. Yeah, the bubble, worst. And the it worst. contaminates the right. bubble. It doesn't cost yeah. anymore anymore but I hate yeah. them. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's why we don't work with Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ah. <laughs> Enlightening. Yeah. So yeah, in those years I would have to check in my suitcase and my crate and then I would carry on the backpack that had a bunch of stuff in it. So between one crate and one backpack, I had a, I had enough records to play a set. Yeah. But yes, uh, uh, more often than you would think, my records would get lost, and uh, it sucked. I mean, they <laughs> were luckily for me, they were never like permanently lost. Right. They would find them usually within two days, a day or two. But what if you had a gig that night? Um, so I've had very You're like close I'm playing calls. James Brown all night. <laughs> yeah. I've had close calls. I remember going to France once for um, really early on for like one of my first festivals and um, my bag didn't make it and my show was the next day, but the show was on a Saturday and like France really closes down on weekends. Like they're really on some like, all right, Friday, 6 p.m. We will see you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and that includes baggage service, especially in those years. And, and I was traveling with my mom then. I was like 16 and we had to really plead to even get someone to hear us out. And I was like, they were like, yeah, well, you'll get your bag on Monday. I was like, I have to perform tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. 
they eventually got me my bag right before my show the next day. Like, literally in the hour before my show, the bag. Do you know shot. where it went? I think it just, like, missed the... F- Sometimes it, it just misses that flight. Yeah. Backpacking through, <laughs> through Europe. Europe. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, most of the time it just misses whatever flight you're on. Gotcha. And then they just automatically put it on the next one. But an overseas flight, there might be just... you got to wait till the next day. Um, but were there any situations where, like, you had to go, like, digging through crates, like... Or, uh, record shopping? Uh, record shopping, like, right before no, I feel a show. Like for whatever reason, most of the times that my records would get lost, I don't know why. It, luckily, it would be when I would be heading back home. Because there's, I have plenty of memories of coming back to Montreal and not having my records and then just stressing out for a day or two waiting for the, the airline to find my bag. <laughs> and then even to, like, the worst part is when they say, we got it. You'll have it in like three hours. And then you wait the whole day. Uh, when um, our dad passed away, uh, we went, we, um, they were living in, uh, in North Carolina. Uh-huh. And so um, I came back from that and my bag got lost. Oh, yeah. And we got it. Like, I think three days later, and it came with a tag on it that said perfect delivery. And it's like, well, it's like, no, nothing yeah. about yeah. this was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a tough week. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember having a show in Trinidad. Um, and this was my brother had moved to New York, but I hadn't yet. So they was going to Columbia. I was still living in Montreal. I was playing in Trinidad and it was like a few days before Christmas like let's say December 20th or mm-hmm. something. And um, yeah, my bag got lost when I got there. Um, I, I forget how I got through the show. I probably had enough records like in my backpack to just get by or whatever. But all I remember was that I ended up, I was supposed to only stay there a day or two. And I was like, I don't want to leave here without my bag. Like this is like too <laughs> far from home. Like it's going to turn into a whole chain of events. Because they always say, like, we'll send you, send it to your next <laughs> destination. I was like, I don't take this personal, but I'd rather stay here and grab my bag in person and then take it to my next destination. So I extended my trip. And then next thing you know, it's December 22nd, December 23rd. Still no bag. And I was still wearing the same bummy airplane hoodie. <laughs> and I didn't have hair product on me. <laughs> so my hair was a mess. <laughs> um, and then whatever else. And I, I think by December 24th, I remember thinking like, all right, well, I'm not going to spend Christmas here by myself. I literally knew no one there. I was like, I'm not going to spend Christmas here. Um, I was supposed to go to New York for, for the holidays. So I flew to New York um, still without my suitcase. And then I remember landing, like landing in New York as midnight hit, just really bummed out, <laughs> you know, on this plane, still wearing the same clothes for days. <laughs> Having the having the you know the 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 captain or whoever on the PA saying "Merry Christmas, everybody," and I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, that's how I spent my Christmas, just landing in New York. But I remember there was a uh, um, silver lining, which you guys will enjoy. I'm not sure why, but Dave that night, so I was obviously like landing in New York and was gonna go meet up with my brother, and he was going to a Hebe magazine party. Oh my! Okay. Not sure why. I think maybe because well, he's story. Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but. Never, we don't fraternize that much. <laughs> but they must have done something with him or something. He was invited to this thing. So I remember he was like, yeah, call me with you when you land and we'll just go to this party. So I remember that after the, you know, the grim couple of days and not even getting my bag, I was like, well, screw this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heave party. Right. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it, it still took days to get my bag after that. It was oh. crazy. So, um, who's, so the let, let craziest, who's the craziest person that you've run into in an airport? Uh, ooh. Um... I don't know. 
I have a fond memory of running into Tiesto at an airport just because hmm. he's a really friendly guy. He's a, Tiesto's a very tall, uh, smiling Dutchman. <laughs> How are you doing today? It's so nice to see you. Hey, let's take a selfie. <laughs> he's just this enormous guy. Hey guys, just want to interrupt this podcast for a second to tell you that if you want to support your boys, It's The Real, here's an easy way how. Go to itsthereal.com slash shop today. There's lots of merch to cop. Starting with Rhymebook, which is our lined notebook with lots of original It's The Real material in there from time wasters to games to quotes, playlists, really just funny It's The Real things that you can only get in Rhymebook available right now. You can also go get t-shirts. We have AKA t-shirts with a million of our personalized AKAs on the back. Also, our Rough Riders collaboration t-shirts that we begged Wa to do five times before he actually emailed and said, I'm with it. So go get those before we run out. We've only done this printing and that is it. We are not reproducing anymore. Now is the time to get it. It's thereal.com slash shop today, tomorrow, and forever. And now back to A-Track. I spend too much time in airports. It's all a blur. Yeah. Yeah. You yes. started a, uh, a travel website with Complex. Yes. Infinite Legroom. <laughs> yeah. It lasted about four years. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember just sort of realizing that... Uh, Traveling comes with a lot of like insider secrets, and I, you know, wanted to pass on the knowledge. I guess this is the theme of today's episode: <laughs> yeah, yeah. passing on the knowledge. Right. But just simple stuff like realizing that some of my friends weren't using their air miles, and I was like, no, you really should use those because then you can, you know, get your mom a plane ticket, or like, you know, understanding that there's partner airlines, like, you know, well, if you have a Delta account and then you fly Air France or KLM or you know that that kind of thing, right? So that kind of stuff with air miles but also what we were just saying about carrying on like that's an article in itself like why never check it <laughs> check in your bags um or like also i remember one of the sort of aha moments that made me want to start this website was speaking to a few of my dj friends who toured even longer than me and there was this funny conversation where uh i started asking a few of my dj friends do you have a go-to hotel in any cities in any city and a bunch of my dj buddies were like oh yeah of course in barcelona it's this one in london it's that one and i was like this is fucking gold like this is amazing people are still staying at like you know hyatts or whatever and like there's other hotels that are probably cheaper and kind of cooler um you know where that where i mean certain hotels will just bum you out you know right. <laughs> like this was also the sort of era of boutique hotels because this yeah. is many years ago so figuring out which ones are cool with that but even boutique hotels are kind of a swindle sometimes because a lot of boutique hotels will cut corners and they'll have, you know, sort of a hipster decor and they'll serve you, you know, a drink in a mason jar. But they but, have no bathroom. But they have no bathroom. <laughs> or in less extreme cases, maybe the bathroom's really dirty or maybe like, um, I don't know, maybe their Wi-Fi sucks or there's things like that. Like they might, they a lot of them actually just don't have room service. They'll say, oh, well, we have, you know, a barista in, in the lobby <laughs> and just come and you know grab a snack here we'll make you a bowl of spirulina in the lobby and i'm like no i want someone to send me hey, right. a salad to my room <laughs> oh we don't do that so by uh, the way we just so when we were in atlanta a couple weeks ago we stayed in this hotel which okay atlanta's tricky for, for hotels well but like it had a theme which was the cuban missile crisis wow <laughs> yeah. i like that there's yeah. red phones there is <laughs> yeah there's the, you see the missile like you know yeah, the uh, satellite, yeah, the satellite imagery <laughs> 
Oh man, that's amazing. Very strange. Yeah, I've and never like seen the, the thing is that it. nobody would ever notice. Like only we noticed. Yeah, it. we're just like well, you're like wait a second. Yeah, red, big 1962 fans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, really, now that I'm thinking back, the the true impetus for starting a travel website is that I was making these hotel reviews. That I was putting on YouTube. I don't know if you guys ever saw those. Yeah, of They're course. Weird. Well, I didn't you see them on YouTube, but I saw them on your like Instagram and Snapchat and stuff like that. Okay, and even yeah. that was like sort of later. It's funny because like, you know, phones didn't have video cameras then. I was using flip cams. Oh my god. So, basically, like just realizing that I was staying at at hotels around the world, a lot of which had little quirks. You know, so like, oh, this hotel has you know a funny shaped pillow and this hotel <laughs> i really like the brand of uh products in the bathroom but why you know why is blah 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 whatever some shit why is there a painting of the cuban missile yeah, 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 right? yeah like yeah that's a great example i remember staying in a hotel in paris that was a cube the whole ho- the building was shaped like a cube and it was called the cube <laughs> but i got locked out in the middle of the night and i was like these fucking hotels try to be smart <laughs> with their decor and they can't even let me in it's 2 a.m i gotta sleep i have a flight in the morning so I started filming myself, and um, there was a bit of an audience for that. It wasn't great. I definitely wasn't on, you know, Anthony Fantano level <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. views. But, like, I was literally, for, for a few years, I filmed myself reviewing hotels. There's about 40 or 50 of them still on YouTube. If you, if you, yeah, uh, please yeah. don't, actually. But if you want to, you can search a track Hotel Guide, and there's really a lot. Um, um, you loved a good robe. I love a good robe, um, and I love... Uh, absurdity yeah and what I, I i didn't even realize why i was doing these at first like there was eventually i realized that the hotel reviews were secretly a kind of study in jet lag because <laughs> i would just i would film myself saying nonsense in hotel rooms and be like oh look at this you know funny thing maybe it's for when the wizard comes in i don't know something <laughs> yeah. and um and then people would be like, oh, that's really good. That's really funny. I'd be like, why do you like this? Okay, I guess I'll keep doing it. Then I realized like, oh, yeah, I feel crazy when I travel. <laughs> and this is why this works. So anyways, it went from me doing these hotel reviews to starting a travel site to share these kind of tips of like, hey, uh, again, don't check in your bag. Here's the best toiletry case and here's why. Um, I was just never able to like monetize the site, so we eventually we we uh, we had to close it down. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a passion project, but it was fun to interview some of my friends for it to be like, you know, ask one of my buddies like, "Hey, talk about synth shops in Tokyo," and have someone like Theophilus uh, did a how to travel with a wide brimmed hat <laughs> article. I mean, and, oh, and the best a, thing. By the way, I would one. definitely like read that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, hopefully, it's archived somewhere because yeah, the yeah, site's shade definitely and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the best thing was, uh, I've always really loved SkyMall and <laughs> two of my DJ friends, Dave Nada and Titsworth did a column. It wasn't even an article. It was a recurring column yeah. of like, you know, I forget what it was called, but like things we found in SkyMall. <laughs> Have you ever so bought th- anything from SkyMall? No, I gotta say, I feel like, like a kind of six a... foot cat, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, hideaway or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, yeah I love the whole pet section. Like, like here's a bean bag for your dog. Like, oh Yeah. <laughs> Or like the 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 the, uh, the floor to ceiling crossword puzzle yep. is a favorite. Oh my god! And the special binoculars to locate your golf ball. <laughs> I really like those two. <laughs> There's a lot. I feel like a bit of a sucker for never actually buying them because I I was definitely an enthusiast. <laughs> like there's the whole like orthopedic shoe section. Sure. Mm-hmm. I liked all the, the all the sections. You should have taken the phone out of the headrest, you oh, know, and yeah, called yeah, them yeah, up yeah. and yeah. really placed an order at Man, the time. Yeah, those were fun. <laughs> um, but I never actually bought something. P Thug used to buy stuff from them. Really? Yeah, P Thug. I think he. Bought he does th- seem the type. Yeah. yeah. 
clothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no. He, I, I think he bought the backpack that turns into a bench or like a stool. I mean, there's a backpack that turns into a stool, so that when you're waiting in line, you're like, mm, well, good thing I have this trusty stool right here. Um, but yeah, my DJ friends, Dave Nat and Titsworth, they did a column uh, on my travel site about. Uh, uh, Sky Mall. Rest in peace, Sky Mall. I was bummed. <laughs> there was like, at one point a few years ago, there was an announcement that Sky Mall was about to go bankrupt. And I was like, please, someone <laughs> yell out Sky Mall. You could have like, been like the Chance the Rapper to their SoundCloud. Yes, I, which <laughs> in, which I, I could have tweeted that I was going to save them and not do it. Right. Yeah. But the tweet itself would be enough to make people believe that I did it. Um, I could have. I should have. Um, were too you, <laughs> uh, Were you or are you part of the... Uh, DJ slash producer group chat that um that just blaze and oh yeah you are in it there's a few I'm I'm in two or three DJ group chats but I was in that one that one was wild <laughs> wait is it, is it no longer yeah I think it's no longer like Swiss, a lot of the, Swiss I mean, said when Swiss was over here he said that he put it on mute because it was just like too much activity and then we're like would you mind if you went in there right now and just typed lol and he did <laughs> yeah it's a it lot like midnight on a Friday yeah but um. It was cool because there's a lot. Wait, of... can you open it up right now? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's. I don't know if everyone sort of exited it. Oh my or if god! It's still... Let's see. Was anybody on an Android in that group chat? No. Well, the thing with WhatsApp, like that was a. Oh, WhatsApp it's a WhatsApp. Oh, it's a WhatsApp. That's WhatsApp. why people do WhatsApp yeah. group yeah. chats. Is that it's right? Uh... It doesn't. It's ugly all the time. Right. Yes. Oh my god! Does this still thing still exist? Let me see. Or you should just change the name of it. Yeah, change the name. <laughs> yeah, I can't even find it. Um, it was fun. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Hold on. <laughs> but all I can see is just, just, just Blaze left the chat. Nah. He, and he started it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing Peanut Butter Wolf left, Ski Beats left. Oh, my God. A number that I don't have left. Right. I Wait, think, who's I think left? That was is Illa it just Jay. you and... <laughs> yeah, and Swiss. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's still a lot of people in here. <laughs> but I mean, less than before. In the beginning, it was like... A lot. Yeah. Pete Rock is still here. Mm. One time, uh, Pete Rock changed his phone number, and uh, he goes into the group chat, and he goes, uh, hey, I changed my number. This is Pete Rock. And then all these other people were like, hey, what's up, King? Uh, this is Clark Kent. You know, take my number down. Whatever. And then someone else, then you'd see like, yo, what up, Diamond D? Hey, what up, Ski Beats? Hey, what up? This is uh, so-and-so, Alchemist. I'd be like, I'm still reading this like a kid. Like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. And then I go, hey, this is Jerry Seinfeld. And like... <laughs> And then more people are writing like, hey, what's up? This is DJ Scratch. Hey, this is DJ that. And I'm like, looking at my phone, I'm like, is someone going to say something? <laughs> and then like literally hours later, I went back in and I was like, just kidding. This isn't Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> this is A-Track. And then like, I feel like Pete Rock got it then. He's like, oh, hey, what's up, A-Track? I'm like, yeah, I was making a joke. And then I went into full geek, like I went into full Chris Farley mode and I was like, hey, Pete Rock, you remember that one time when you scratched on the record and it skipped and you kept the skip on it? <laughs> And he's like, yeah, yeah. Wow, you noticed that? And I was like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> when you were growing up and you were 14 years old and you're just practicing on your turntables at home. Yeah. Was that like downstairs or in your bedroom or where? Basement. Basement? Yeah. Uh, the Mac Low basement. When, when, when you were doing that, and I imagine you're just, you know, going back and forth with whatever beat, perfecting it for hours at a time. Yeah. Are you a perfectionist to this day like you were back then? Yes. And does that translate into posters that go out for you? Not ones that like you guys make, but if you're booked somewhere and someone and one thing just pisses you off to like the nth degree and it's so small. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of because uh, that happens to us as well. Yeah, a lot of promoters are will like change the 
the they'll distort the dimensions of a logo they'll just stretch it out yeah i'm like no this is not yeah. right um, or do they misspell your name i mean it's you know a track obviously is easy to misspell uh i don't know maklovich why. is impossible <laughs> yeah i mean luckily i don't have my full name on fire well no but brothers maklovich yeah that's true yeah um i mean there's i feel like there's just been like kind of a system to keep that in place where like there's a point where like I had an art director make a style guide that mm-hmm. says this is how you use the logo. Don't stretch it like this. Don't stretch it like that. People still get get it wrong, but yeah. like that minimizes. Sure. Like, cause I think there's a point where that was just taking up too much of my brain bandwidth. <laughs> of like, let me approve everything, and but, my management knows that I'm really particular with stuff. So like, if I ask to see stuff, they'll show it to me. But after a while, they were like, you know, there's a way to. Like we could make a style guide and you can say what you, we can even just define a color palette and say, Hey, for the next year, my, all my, my flyers will be fuchsia if I feel like it. Um, But does your perfectionism translate over to your live shows, whether it's the Goldie Awards or whether it's like one of your sets and does it translate over to music that you were involved in? Like if you're going to be like, yeah, I'm, I want to play behind the beat, but it has to be always this far from the beat. (laughs) Kind of. I mean... I think at some point with age, like I learned to let go of certain things where like I don't drive myself crazy with every single thing, but whatever I choose to um, sort of micromanage, I definitely do Mm -hmm. micromanage. And like all the way down to the way Fool's Gold runs, like I think, and the same thing could be said about, about Nick, I think for both of us, right? Like a lot of people sort of assume that I'm like maybe the face of Fool's Gold and that there's... Uh, people that kind of do everything. We have a great crew, great staff, and and um, you know, they're they're all amazing. I'm I just thinking. assumed you were a curator. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but there's a ton that I do at Fool's Gold where, like, if I'm we're doing a collab with another brand or if we're working with an artist for the first time or even just putting on an event. Like, I I I book the lineups for our events, right? And then um, so if if we partner with someone and they're like, wait, you're it's it's you who's calling like French <laughs> Montana's manager, and I'm like, yeah, that's how we pull shit off. Like, yeah. that's how we make you do the impossible is if I make those calls. So there's a lot of stuff that I like. Even just this week, I've been helping set up a video for one of our artists. Uh, so there's a there's plenty of things where I'll say the team can handle this. It's cool, whether it's Nick or the rest of the team or them together or whatever. Like. Um, Again, everyone that works with us is, is awesome, but there'll be a few things that I'll just pick and, and choose to look after myself. And those things I'll see through to the last second where I'll talk to the director, I'll talk to the artist, I'll look at the treatment, I'll figure out who could be maybe a cameo guest, da-da-da, and like I'll look at you know all the cuts with the artist. So there's a lot that I, that I, that I do hands-on. <clears throat> and um, yeah, same for my shows, um, whether it be, you know, coming up with the visuals and how they should look. And sometimes I'll be like DJing and I'll turn behind me. And like the visuals that I have right now um, are all based on typography and they're all meant to be like very sort of monolithic. And the one thing that you can't do is do fades from one (laughs) clip to another because that kills the whole uh, like almost brutalist vibe of the thing. It's supposed to be like one font, another font, big font, small font, not like little 
crossfades. So I'll, you want like, like a montage? <laughs> no, exactly. Like little iPhoto, iMovie yeah. montage, right? So I'll turn. Ken Burns effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, I'll turn behind me sometimes at shows and I'll see either these fades or I'll see callers that weren't approved or I'll like, I'll see the local VJ mix in his little lava lamp effect with my like Swiss fonts. And I'm like, I'll text my tour manager. But like, I, I text during my shows sometimes. It's funny because I'm like, a very technical DJ, you'll think that my hands are busy all the time and I'll be like, I'll be like, hey, uh, remind me to blah, blah, blah. But in those cases, I'll text my TM, who's probably like a few, you know, yards away, a few steps away. And I'll just be like, fix the visuals <laughs> now. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah, no fades. Ever. It's, so it's it's interesting, like, and we, we deal with this too. Like, we're artists, right? Yeah. But we're, we also are producers in that, like you know, the buck stops with us. Yeah. And so if we're putting on a live event, it will be on stage too. And we're getting texts like, Hey, like they're not letting me in and we know yeah. this person's on the list. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, it drives you crazy yeah. that someone out there, a small thing is not being done the right way. Yep. 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 So and you got to send the quick, like with one, the one hand text. You do. And, yeah. but also like there's, there's a, <laughs> the there's a, text. there's an idea that you can be like, um, and by the way, it used to be so easy like to drive and to like use um, the flip phone and to remember that it's just like one, two, three, one, two, like <laughs> four, down. Four, four, yeah, six, yeah, six, yeah, six. yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, by the way, yes, you can install the Gboard, which is the Google keyboard on your iPhone. And then with that, you can. So like you see how this is a different keyboard. Yes. This is the Gboard. And with that, you can do like this kind of typing with your hand where like. Basically, without lifting your finger, you can type whole words. So you were just going in a circle with your thumb. That and I don't know what you wrote. Bad, but if I write, <laughs> it's the real. Okay, now Whoa. press end. Press end. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's wild. Yeah, so that's one tip for like the sneaky text. Yeah. <laughs> for the I'm busy, I'm for the multitasker text. Exactly. This is why you need to bring back your website. Yes. <laughs> Infinite Legroom is relaunched. <laughs> hey, everybody, install Gboard. Okay, <laughs> we're going to close again now. Um, but yeah, I'm sure at your events you're probably on stage going like, "So and so's at the door, let him in." Yeah, and yeah. It's, and it's and it's crazy because you know you want to you want to be an artist in full and not yeah. deal with any of the technical stuff, but yeah. at the same time it's like you want to put on the best show. Yeah. Do you? I mean, are are you at a point in your life where you're just like, I'm not going to let the tiny things in a show bother me, or like, because for us it's like if one person has like something go wrong, I want to yeah. take care of that experience. Yeah. Um. I think it be it just becomes choices, you know. It becomes choices and and like like quick. the E forty song. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nope. Yep. Um, and it's you know quick little judgment calls on the spot too. Um, and I think, look, I'm I'm sure in a lot of ways the same could be said about a lot of people who build their own operations, you know, with their hands, put their hands in the clay, <laughs> and yeah. mold the clay. Yeah. You know, so on my on my end, like everything from my own my own projects, my own videos and, and, and releases, uh, obviously Fool's Gold, Goldie Awards. Um, I've been hands-on with all that. Um, and you guys have done a great job with what you do too. And I, I think anyone that does... Thank you. Yes. <laughs> anything who does it that way will stay very involved, you know, the whole way through. I don't think that ever ends, but I do think that there's also, you know, lessons that we've all learned along the way of like learning how to delegate. And, you know, because I think there's a point where if you don't learn how to delegate you you sort of plateau your own growth right because mm -hmm. there's a limited amount of like not even just time but mental bandwidth if you're like um i you know i remember when i first started hiring a tour manager or someone to travel with me you know for years no djs had tour managers and traveling as a dj is not that hard 
except when they lose your records. But for the <laughs> most part, it's like you show up, someone picks you up at the airport, and then and then they tell you what time your pickup is for the show. Maybe you do sound check, maybe you don't. It's not all that complicated, but having someone travel with me would remove all the small little micro conversations, micro thoughts of like, oh, hey, you know, don't forget you have press at six. Um, do you want to use this mixer, that mixer tonight? Like handing those thoughts off to someone else frees up my mind to go and take care of fool's gold things, right? Mm -hmm. Jump on a conference call, do this, do that, maybe make a sick beat. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. want to make a sick beat yeah. that day. Or a type um, beat. <laughs> yeah, either one. Uh, and so, yeah, like building a bit of a, of, a, of a staff so that people can take away like the little things out of your habits definitely helps. And for anyone who's started, who's built an operation themselves, a lot of us will have the initial resistance of, I think the thought process is, it'll take me as much time to show this intern how to do this thing than if I do it myself. Mm -hmm. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> and then you start thinking, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Sure. And sometimes you have to fight that thought and be like, you know what, let me show this person how to do this thing because I'm sure there'll be another similar thing in two weeks. And, you know, I'll take the time to show it now and then and, and then I can do other things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's necessary to, to, to build a team. And, and then once you have a team... I think you uh, start having these little decisions of like, okay, do I need to jump in myself or do I let them handle it? Because they're paid to handle it. So yeah. hopefully yeah. they're able to handle it. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that, that it's you who reaches out to like French Montana's camp, who reaches yeah. out to like all these different the people because D4L like how hard do you have to search like, for somebody's and, contact And by the number? way, similarly, like the same example, as many examples of like all the things I do myself, people are always surprised to see what Nick does too. Like Nick, Nick, Nick oh, makes a totally. lot of these like little animations for socials. And then the artist will be like, Cash Dubs, you made this? Like, yeah. They're like, yeah, no wonder it looks great. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, no, but like, I think that um, because, you know, we, we, we have a certain imprint, right? Like right. we have a certain like footprint in this culture and yeah. we know a certain amount of people, but like 90% of the people that we bring onto the podcast yeah. are cold emails. And it's yes. us like pitching, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. different so people. Like and how hard it is to reach out. Yeah. Well, so what I've found out is that in a lot of those conversations, and let's say we to use like the, the Fool's Gold Day Off booking example where budgets are always an issue. And basically like there's there's artists or artist teams, let's say, who sort of get it mm -hmm. that it's cool to play a different kind of show and mm -hmm. it's a good look. Mm -hmm. And there's others who don't. And it's not even really worth trying to convince someone to like if you know certain certain managers will just be like, Oh, that sounds great. It'll be a hundred thousand dollars. Now, like, we really can't pay that for one artist. Yeah, right. Ninety thousand, um, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. So, like, those kinds of conversations. That's why it's so important for me to always have like Plan Bs and Cs and Ds. Because, like, at first, I used to spend so much time brainstorming on what this ideal lineup would be that I would get really attached to like this one choice, and I would hit someone up, and sometimes they get it right away. Either they've heard of us, they'll be like, "Oh, a track, of course. Mm -hmm. I met you with so so." I'm like, "Oh shit, that's you." great cool let's book juicy j whoever right or other people will just be like yeah that sounds like a good look for my artist cool what's your budget we'll work with it um but yeah i was i was saying i'll get so attached to that idea that the cases where they'd say no we need five million dollars <laughs> i'd be like oh but this is a you know really different kind of look and i would try to sort of like sell them on it there's a point where i just gave up on those conversations like right from the start you get if someone is into yep. something that's a little different from their routine or not if they right away hit you like try to tax you it's like okay thanks but no thanks respectfully like we can't afford that thanks for your time 
there's always someone else who's down to do it. Totally. Yeah, especially now, like, and, like, the fact that we're all, like, in the hip-hop scene, like, hip-hop is so huge now. There's so many choices of every kind of variation of, mm-hmm. of hip-hop and artists. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are unique, but, like, we're no longer at it. Like, there was a point in time where it was either a couple of old heads or a couple of new heads, and, like, the choices were kind of limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's, that, that was, that's kind of been my main lesson of... For me, it's fun to try to track someone down because there's this sort of like, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon yeah. thing where yeah. like pretty much anyone I know I can figure out how to get to them. Um, and then, yeah, then they get to that conversation where, where you know, um, yeah, we get to suss out whether they're going to be down to do something, you know, on the grassroots level or not. I know after the Chromeo album came out, yeah. Um, I emailed you to congratulate you on the work that you did because you oh, did thanks. executive produce it. Yeah. And I think that that project shows what really two years of like sussing out what works and doesn't work mm-hmm. and what could be improved and whatever, what that can really prove because it's a fantastic album from top to bottom. Um, and I've told you that, I told Dade that, I told to P Dave that. And, P, yeah. and, but if you can explain what you brought to the table um, for that project, how would you sort of put it? Um, I would just say I, I was the sounding board for pretty much everything where, um, you know, if Dave and P are in the studio every day um, and they're working on either certain days will be like writing days and they'll come up with like a bunch of quick song ideas or other days will be like, you know, obsessive detail production days working on like just the drum track for three days. Um, I would come in every couple of days and just listen to stuff and help say, you know, help uh, narrow down the decisions and be like, all right, this this song idea is actually better than that one. Or, um, you know, feedback on, on how the music is sounding. Um, and then also... And know, you connected some dots, right? Yeah. Um, helped with the French feature. Mm-hmm. And, and Amber Mark, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amber Mark. Uh, I mean, Dave wanted... Uh, just sort of like a a sort of newer um, newer sort of soulful singer, and then I was just you know coming up with suggestions, and and she was my my favorite choice. And Super dope. She got on the song. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Were you there for the Terius Nash stuff? No, yeah. I wish. Damn. Uh, and even with that, became a sort of like on ha- all hands on deck. Everyone tried to help make that happen. Yeah. Or like their management was hitting, you know, because Dream's managed by by Shiv and Steven Victor. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> so like, guys. yeah. Um, so like, Chromio's management set up the ses- session, but then I would text both Steven and Shiv and be like, <laughs> please make this happen. Come on, guys. <laughs> just add a little layer like, hey, can you make sure that Dream shows up? Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it would just be the sounding board for um, a lot of the ideas, guest ideas, all the way to as they were, you know, coming up with ideas for the the cover and like, you know, the guys like Dave and P really do their own creative direction and, and you know, figure out which photographer they want and what kind of reps they they use. Um, and though a lot of times they're just sort of second guessing themselves. So <laughs> some of that. And I suggested some of the um, video directors, too. So, um, yeah, like as as the whole project was coming together, I would just be like the third person in the room being like, I like this one better than that one. And why don't we get a guest on this song or, 
here's a video director I like. Yeah. Um, Apparently I, that's called an executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to get too much further without, I know Eric really wanted to talk about the Cameron stuff. I do. Ah. So, yeah. When Dave was on here, he said that it exists, yeah. that he's heard some stuff, yeah. and that uh, it's not dead. Yes. Okay, cool. I can say the same thing. I can assert the same thing. Shout out to Cam and Dame. Um, they're just awesome human beings. I really like working with them. And um, that the project that Cam and I started a few years ago, which sort of went dormant for a while, um, you know, has shown signs of life. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's having, we've, we've been having fun with it. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but um, I think the general point is just like, we'll put out music when we, when we feel totally satisfied with the body of work. I never wanted to put out, you know, half done songs from a few years ago. Um, yeah, those guys are just great. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And and um, part of what's fun with it also is this idea that, like, although we've had completely different life paths and career paths, obviously, there is a thread in common in my, in my mentality, Dame's mentality, and Cam's mentality, which is a very, you know, we work with our friends kind of approach on some, like, we don't need these majors. We don't need this. We don't need that. We know how to make videos. We, you know, we know when the shit sounds right and we even record with our friends around us and like that, that approach. And you know, what's wild. Like we have that, we share that same mentality yeah. and experience with the locks. Like, yes, like right. it's, it's, it's wild. We grew up 10 minutes from each other, but we have these very, <laughs> very different life experiences, yeah. but we connect in a, in a real friendship. And it, and it was talking to Styles the other day about, yeah. he's just like, I just love doing this for the fun of it. And yeah. it's like, it's dope. And that's and great. That's where the most organic and long-lasting stuff begins and travels. I mean, that's the one of the most awesome things with music in general, right? It's just these unlikely friendships. Like back when I was touring with with uh, with Kanye, I became really close with GLC. Yeah, you know, his friend from Chicago, um, and GLC and I ended up making a um, a mixtape, and uh, you know, is a mixtape that I that I um, I really coached him a lot in the recording process and he's someone who would just sort of like go to his homie studio before and just record. He wasn't used to having someone tell him like, do this verse over or even <laughs> like sort of pushing his creativity. I would ask him like, Hey, what's a song that you <laughs> really liked when you were get, growing up that we could do a new version of? And then he would pick like a, a DJ quick record or this or that, like quizzing him on his influences and helping him connect those dots with the music he was making. Uh, and I remember he would sometimes just crack up and look at me and be like, I can't believe it's you giving me these ideas. <laughs> same same thing that Ice-T said. Yeah. 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 When you did that project, uh, which I'm blanking on the name on, but you had a song with uh, Thug and I think Pee Wee called... Oh, yeah. Low Pros. Low yeah, Pros. Low Pros. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a song called Jack Tripper. Yes. Did they know who Jack Tripper was or did you have to say like, okay... I'm trying to remember if Q did that hook. Whoever did that hook, that was their idea. And there was also a song... Because that, like, Three's Company is, like, way before <laughs> all their time. <laughs> I know. Um, there was also a song called Frankie Lyman on, yeah. on that mm -hmm. EP. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that wasn't my idea. That was theirs. And Low Pros was, was, is, was a fun project to look back on now, too, because the whole idea was with that was this sort of, like, producer umbrella centered around myself and Lex Luger yeah. connecting. Mm-hmm. We didn't even really know each other well before, but once we linked up... Once you got in the producer group chat... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once we linked up, 
quickly it became there was other producers that came in on it like metro was uh working on some of the beats with us and my buddy high classified from from montreal from fool's gold um and the idea there was like the like the edm version of trap was really big in those years and there was no one really connecting the dots between that and like the original trap sound of you know southern rap and uh of which I think Lex is really one of the true architects. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I have a foot in electronic music and a foot in hip hop, I thought like, oh, it'd be cool if I, I linked up with Lex and we worked with a bunch of, you know, cool rappers that I really liked. And we worked with Thug and Pee Wee really early on. And we had Juvenile on a record. And mm-hmm. um, that's a great Ferguson. record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Juvie killed it. Thanks. Yeah. And um, but at the same time, on the production side, I would like ingest a little bit of the, the sonics of that newer version of Trap that was happening. Um, and try to come up with a with a hybrid thing um yeah it's a trip to think back at those years because those conversations weren't even really happening between the electronic djs and and um and the rappers and the producers and like just you know two three years later everybody was collaborating hmm. and and you know you had edm songs with gucci Mane and this and that and, and waka flaka yeah, yeah all exactly. that exactly that that uh commingling wasn't happening yet you were telling us one time that you like New York for what New York brings, uh-huh. but if you want to do, um, is this your bagels? Yours? No. Oh, we can talk about <laughs> we can, bagels. We can take it there. Um, <laughs> we can take it there, sister. But if, but if you, but if you, but if you wanted to do like your own stuff, you would go out to LA for that. And if you wanted to work in hip hop, you'll yeah. go down to Atlanta. Yeah. Does that still remain the case? Kind of. Yeah. I, I record more of my music in LA still. Yeah. I have a place in LA and a place in New York, and um, I go to LA when I need a little bit more focus. Um, because I'm just less distracted there. So I do end up doing more of my recording. And even like a lot of the DJ routines that I film, those are pretty much like all but one. They're filmed at my house in LA. So just that requires a little bit more like isolated hours of the day and, and a type of focus. Um, I still I still like wear New York on my sleeve. I still have like my heart in New York. And um, obviously Fool's Gold's here. And just like identity-wise... Um, culturally you know I, I feel like this is my city and then sometimes i just you know fly west and record for a couple of days well, and, and then for rap sessions it varies um i i really did enjoy going to atlanta like once or twice a year for a couple of years and i still continue to do that but um i think now it's even interesting to try going elsewhere too yeah what what do you sort of how do you feel about montreal today um, I love Montreal. I'll, I'll always love Montreal. It's a little hard for me to to live there. <coughs> Sorry, I'm congested. Yeah. Sucks being congested. Um, Too much <laughs> traveling. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I wish we could give you something for it. But I like, know. I there's know. nothing to do. It's just me <laughs> yeah. and my nose fighting it out. Um, yeah, Montreal's amazing. I, I always tell people to go visit it. And, like, actually, now, like, um, my cousin and his friends have, like, a creative agency called St. Woods that's doing really cool stuff there. And, they make clothing, they have nightclubs, and, you know, we all collaborate, too. So it's cool to see, like, a bit of the newer generation. Um, I moved out. I left Montreal in uh, 2006. Um, for what I was doing with my DJing, I kind of felt like there was a kind of limited opportunities in terms of just, like, connections I could make. Um, so I chose to come and live in the U.S. Uh, but you but you went back recently and played up there. There was a festival or something, right? In Montreal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, still, I still have shows there at least once a year. Um, and 
and do you, yeah do this you, summer i played oshiaga festival that's the one that, that you probably saw mm-hmm. um and we do fool's gold day off uh you know now we've done it for the last three or four years mm-hmm. three years but do you get a sense that like the crowd is like oh you know montreal boy done good and came back S- some do and some just realize it that day some will just be like wait i've heard of this guy he's from here what <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, by the way like keep talking about the sibling thing there's still people who are like a-Track and Dave One are brothers. What? Like, I never assume that people know these things. I one all I know is there's always people are surprised um, uh, to find out either that I'm from Montreal or that I'm Dave's brother or anything else about myself. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? It's surprises when people meet me. I feel like people either say you're taller than I expected or you're shor- shorter than I expected. Oh, I, I always get you're way taller than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're kind of tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why no one. I why can't I be the height that people expect? I don't what, know why. When, yeah, well, that's I'm a Jewish thing average, where you're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. why can't people yeah. just like me? Uh, when we, <laughs> L- uh, Lil Duval came up here and we were so oh, nice. ex- we were so excited to take the picture with him. Yeah, and then he did the really pro move, which is he suggested we all sit down and take the ah, picture. Yeah, yes. we were like, yeah. it's gonna be great. But but then so we had Jay Park on, and Jay mm-hmm. Park is the uh, rapper who is on uh, Rock Nation. Yeah, yes. and he's also diminutive in size you know <laughs> next to us and you know first of all k-pop fans and korean fans in mm-hmm. general because he's not k-pop but korean like fandom yeah is so intense very yeah. intense and so this kid every single one of his comments is like on oh Twitter. my yeah, yeah. All, my little baby is like <laughs> so short next to him they said that we looked like we were dropping him off at school yeah like it's just like well you know what same thing happened when we had um guap dad 4000 here yeah and like everyone's just like you're so small and i'm like i we didn't mean to do this like <laughs> this is just like we are this tall so. yeah, yeah my bad yeah <laughs> um when you are DJing, and I, want, I, I bet you've answered this question like a million times, but I've just never heard it. But when you are DJing and you're in front of all these thousands of people, is yeah. there ever a time where you're just like, oh, my God, I need to like go to the restroom like now? Yes. And do you leave? That's a whole thing for DJs. Or do you uh, do a six-minute set and just leave? Yeah. <laughs> or do you have like a cup? No, I, I can never do the cup thing. And like there's DJs are, that literally do that. Really? Yeah. But I'll, my sets aren't that long compared to like this is like if someone has a thing to piss in, this is like, you know, uh, Bergheim, you know, DJs who play for like eight hour sets. <laughs> they, they should have their own toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I play in like an hour and a half to two hours. Um, sometimes I really have to pee. Sometimes it's number, number two also. Um, is it ever number three? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it depends what there isn't. Uh, I will cogently answer your question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends what kind of show it is. Because mm-hmm. if I'm playing at a club versus a festival, it's not the same thing. A festival, all eyes are on the stage. Yeah. And there's a lot of lighting on me. So I definitely can't dip out. So I just really the responsible thing is to make sure you pee before the set. Mm-hmm. And like I stopped drinking a couple of years ago. And one of the things that I like the most is I used to drink beer a little bit when I DJed. And that would really make me pee. Yeah. And I'd be like, damn it, I got to go pee. <laughs> and I stopped drinking. I was like, this is great. My bladder is <laughs> so controlled. Um, if I'm at a club and I'm playing a bit of a longer set, then that's that's literally a, any DJ will tell you this trick. You just play a song that's kind of longer yeah. and run off. <laughs> There's like a security guy that'll just push people out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. <laughs> push the stall open. You need to be. Okay, run that. So there's that. At a festival, you're fucked. Um, I've had shows where I definitely had, you know, upset stomach and Damn. whatever that goes with that. Um, I feel like I've done so many shows that anything that's an imaginable has happened. Although whenever I think that more crazy shit <laughs> happens. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's anybody who performs for like more than an hour has to deal with some sort of distress. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have anything in your set right now that's like so unique to you, and you just get like a kick out of it? Like I saw Questlove was saying yesterday that he's incorporated I'm Ducktales. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's incorporated Ducktales, and he says the new sort of like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I feel uh, like that's true, by the way. What Ducktales? Oh yeah, Ducktales has definitely had like a resurgence. Yeah. In terms of like, oh, in the sense that you could play the theme from French, French Prince of Bel Air. Correct, Bel-Air, correct. Yeah, knows the words. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he just thinks that it jams. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's something. I don't have something like campy like that mm-hmm. on some like. Do you remember this from your childhood? <laughs> right. Um, the stuff that I. I'm telling you, you have to start putting in like uh, you know Darkwing nonfiction Duck? or whatever. Yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Darkwing Duck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get dangerous. Um, <laughs> No, the stuff that I get a kick of like that is like sometimes I do these little transition tricks where like I'll I'll grab like the literally like the notes from one beat and like replay. Which yeah, yeah you yeah. showed us the other day. The transition. Yeah, you saw that at yeah. the lesson. Uh, that like, was dope. Thanks. Yeah. I'll, and, I'll and we didn't the think you were gonna from go- another beat. Yeah. So that works as a sort of surprise. Like that's I think every DJ has some sort of like nyak nyak yeah. kind of <laughs> trick. That'll be my nyak nyak trick. It was great, though, because, like, so Jeff and I were standing in separate parts of uh, the Fool's Gold uh, store watching you perform. And I'm texting Jeff. I'm like, here's what's coming up. I was like, (laughs) he's going to play work. And it was not work. It was was smart. It was great. When you were talking, like, way earlier in this conversation about, I I had said, like, you know. Quantum physics. Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, were there any, any, any times where you just did too many tricks? And yeah. like your explanation and to lost that, the crowd yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't say tricks at that point, but but my my mind went to your explanation, which was all. It made me it made me think about like Penn and Teller, mm-hmm. um, and I was wondering like you know one, what are your thoughts on magic? What are your th- and how it relates to DJing? Uh-huh. And then also, um, do you believe in or, or have <laughs> any illusionists ever like you know in your travels? Have you ever dealt with any illusionists? Yeah. I wish you kept it at, do you believe in magic? That's such a great question. <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, do you believe in conspiracy theories? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, What's your favorite? This to is an extent. Cuban yeah. um, Missile Crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what I always ask Styles, and he's like, <laughs> fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> um, so magic, the thing that's interesting is like DJing is obviously music, but the experience of being a DJ is way more comparable to st- things like stand-up comedy or magic mm-hmm. than other types of music, right? So the experience of being a DJ is really different from being in a band where you play your own songs and that's all you... And, and where you play real instruments. Yeah, we play real <laughs> instruments, yes. But when you play essentially the same set and uh, there's not that much wiggle room, unless you're a jam band or a cover band, but for most bands there's not that much wiggle room to adapt to the crowd and um and where people come to see specifically songs that they know right as a dj you'll change your the flow of your set and the selection in your set based on the crowd and there's way more of a relationship with your openers and there's an ability to sort of like extend out certain parts that might be working and there's even more of a sort of like one person traveling experience of just being at some weird hotel and Totally. In Boise, Idaho. Yeah. That, you know, bands are in groups. It's different. So it's more comparable to a stand-up comedian who's working on his show and has certain bits that they're trying out and they're able to extend parts and they have an intro and maybe their opener goes too too hard and they're upset <laughs> at them. And, you know, then they're just stuck at a motel 
in Indianapolis. Like <laughs> that that's the experience of a DJ. And I think magicians are kind of comparable to that too, in the sense that um, it's just them in front of the crowd and they have to win the crowd over. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if, if a band is doing a show, I'm really congested. If a band is doing a show, they don't really have to win a crowd over. The crowd went to see them. Mm-hmm. If you're a DJ or a magician or a stand-up com- comedian, you the the uh, dynamic to start with is the crowd's on some like, all right, impress me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, there's one illusionist that I saw once that I really that really impressed me. Where I was like, maybe there's more to <laughs> you know, the physical realms than I thought. Um, I'm very rational. I I made a joke about quantum physics, but I actually did study physics in college. <laughs> like I'm I uh, so like the you know the sort of the laws of the you know physical world tangible world that are things i believe in wow mm-hmm. uh but but um but i'm open-minded and do yeah, you believe in yeah. string theory i sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you believe in the butterfly effect and by that i mean the ashton, ashton kutcher yes <laughs> i believe in the ashton kutcher trucker hat <laughs> yeah and that that him wearing that hat changed the course of history <laughs> Can you imagine what the world would be like if Ashton Kutcher never wore a trucker hat? It wouldn't be the same world. <laughs> yeah, Demi Moore changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Goldie Awards is coming up yes. on... November 8th, New York City, Brooklyn Steel. Who's going to be there? Ooh, an exercise in memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so the judges, uh, Mark Ronson, Boys Noise, Venus X, Anna Luno, TM88... Um, blah, 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 blah. who am I not thinking? Just of? Blaze. Just Blaze. Thank you and DJ mm-hmm. Craze. I forgot them because they they are my they're the two that are staying on from last year. Mm-hmm. Just Blaze and DJ Craze. You know course. who you should have as a judge? Who? Sixteen year old you. <laughs> yeah. Or the producer, sixteen year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixteen year old. Who's not <laughs> really sixteen years old? But yeah. yeah. But again, yeah. no. You know, but that's the illusion. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe the physical realm is not what we think it is. Uh, those are our awesome judges, hosted by Jesus Nice and Nadeska. Yeah, Alexis. we were we were with Nadeska in Cleveland for nice. the uh, for the Jay and Beyonce show. Oh, nice! Um, and we were talking all about that and how excited we were for her because she had met you for the first time with Dave. Yeah, at Coachella. Yeah, right. and she did not know you were brothers. So there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> could you not afford Kid Marrow? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's funny? All right, so just to finish up the what Goldie Awards is. Yeah. Producer, uh, producer and DJ battle. Um, DJs and producers send videos from literally around the world, like from South Africa, Brazil, Eastern Europe, anywhere, even the United States of America. Um, <laughs> and we picked uh, eight producers and eight DJs to actually, we, we fly them out to the event. They battle on November 8th with the panel of judges that I just named. And the reason why it's Jesus. Uh, hosting an Adidas and Mero goes back to last year. So last year I had Dave East mm-hmm. as a host. Dave East is a great example of when we're talking about like people who are down for shit. He gets it. Yeah. He played Fool's Gold Day Off a few years ago. He was a pleasure to deal with. Um, so I um, I had him uh, confirmed to host the uh, uh, the Goldie Awards, and then. The morning of the show, I was told by his management that they had double booked him. And it was actually during Fashion Week, the Goldie Awards that year. And someone at Def Jam had promised that he would be at another thing. So I called Dave directly and we sort of like worked it out. And he was like, I'm definitely coming, but I didn't realize that you needed me for like four hours. Is it cool if I dip after a while? Because I promised this other person this other thing. And um, luckily, the night before, I was like sending out my texts to... 
whoever the homies in the scene, people that I think might enjoy this battle to say, hey, come out. I'm doing a new thing tomorrow, launching a new project. I had texted both Jesus and Mero. So when Dave East semi pulled out, pause, um, <laughs> I, I thought, oh, well, maybe Jesus and Mero might want to help me host. I need someone to help me host. And then uh, Mero had to watch his kid that night. But Jesus fully like um, for the love last year was just like oh yeah sure just tell me when love that and killed it apparently right and, and by the it way amazing yeah so many people are just like oh you guys should get Jesus and marrow on the podcast we've had them on solo and i like uh -huh. that idea better too yeah. because like you get Jesus's full story and you get marrow's full story and they're different people yeah yeah you and, know and people are used to yeah. hearing their story together but right yeah. yeah, but now I want both of them. Like now we've had we've had them solo. Now it's time to get yeah. both of them. Yeah, but when do, when do they get a robe and when do I get a robe? Uh, yeah. You get a robe again. Once again, <laughs> five times up, you get a robe. Three times, keychain. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. So Goldie Awards are happening. Uh, Brooklyn Steel, New York City. Where can people get tickets? Goldieawards.com. Easy. Uh, that's that's really easy. Uh -huh. That's like when people are just like, how can you get in touch with you? Go to itsthereal.com. Uh -huh. Very simple. Um, Three easy payments. No. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on everything. As Thank always, you. it's always fun to see you. Whether it's a pleasure. Fool's Gold or here or anywhere in the city or whatever. Um, and, and you know what my favorite thing about Fool's Gold is? It's that you and Nick work so well together. This is because Nick worked early with Wale and you yeah. are Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real, your third favorite podcast. Jeff, people want to find out more about us. I'm Eric. You are Jeff. Together, we're It's The Real, no apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about A Waste Time with It's The Real or two Jews and two black dudes review the movies, Jeff, if people want to know anything that's going on in this crazy world of ours or this crazy world, where, where, can, can, they, they, go, you can always go to itsthereal.com, itsthereal.com slash shop for all of our merch, itsthereal.com slash nerd for all of our nerds it's thereal.com slash blurg for all of our blurgs it's thereal.com you can also go and find our podcast on itunes search for a waste of time with it's the real or you can go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time or who knew you can go to spotify go listen to our podcast right after joe budden's second episode of the week mm -hmm. put us in the middle that's right yeah listen guys i love spotify i think you should too go listen on Spotify. Thanks for sponsoring our podcast, Spotify, now exclusively on many different networks. All right. All right. You can also find us on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, and Instagram at It's The Real. That's easy. And on Reddit at It's It's The Real. Oh, so uh, I don't know. A few weeks back, three or four weeks back, we did a reddit ama yeah and i hope people, it doesn't go anywhere right no it's still there so go check it out yeah the Why internet not? is still plugged in i like that did i mention that we're on itsthereal.com i think you did okay yeah jeff we have the best fans in the world and so we like to shout you guys out to show you our appreciation for your appreciation so jeff who do you appreciate today today i appreciate everybody but All especially right. i appreciate Ray 31382. I'm okay. assuming that her birthday is March 13th. All right. And so she is a gem. I don't know anything about science. But okay. shouts to her. She wrote us a really nice message. She said, um, I'm so excited to find a podcast on here that truly speaks to me. Seriously, thank you because I've been binging episodes and I love how you guys, like myself, don't try to be something else. And I do want to say... Binging looks very weird mm -hmm. when you spell it out. It looks like binging. Binging. Yeah. So may maybe she's binging? Yeah. Shouts to Bing, our proud sponsor. That's right. Microsoft Bing. 
go bing yourself shouts to her ray upstate right upstate in the catskill jeff i want to shout out our west coast friend our texas friend mike shahade who we know through amir abessi blame the label mm -hmm. our friend and family we want to shout out mike shahade because he's just one of the most genuine and supportive dudes checking in on us regardless of whether something is going well or something is not going well he is just there every week he's supportive he is just on the megaphone telling everybody that we are doing something right and it's having support from a guy like him who isn't looking for any credit he's not looking for any money he's not looking for a gift bag he is just here to support good work and and lets us know that on the regular and that means the most to us and we're just so appreciative to have him in our lives shout out to mike shahade i just i want to say uh after you finish this up yeah which i think i just cut short yes yeah i think the only people who call me mm -hmm. are mom yeah and mike shahade that's it and I, and I love it. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Shahade, who, you know, it's a real special person who wants to hear your voice. So Mike Shahade is one of the good ones, and we appreciate him using his voice for good. And I hope you guys remember to use your voice for good this coming Tuesday, November 6th. Go out and vote and vote Democratic and do it because it's the right thing to do because there is only one side that is making the right decisions right now and that's the left please 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 don't take this for granted you know what happened in 2016 make your mark do some good let's shift the tides and keep sailing in a better direction as always guys not for real for real sure sure we'll see you guys next week Brrrat.